Fancy a cosy night in this Christmas? Why not try the award-winning Super Value Signature Tastes range of cured meats, cheeses and relishes? Our award-winning Irish suppliers ensure only the finest food makes it onto your festive sharing boards. Order online at supervalue.ie and we'll deliver everything you need for the perfect night in straight to your door. Share the magic this Christmas with Super Value Online Shopping. This Christmas, you've reached out and connected with your loved ones when love matters most. Putting a smile on their faces and sending from the heart. You've sent love all over Ireland and all around the world too. So from all of us at On Post, we're wishing you and yours a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. On Post, for your world. back to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I'm your co-host, Austin. And today we are here to bring you another wild story. Last week, we talked about the Lululemon murder. So many of you were blown away by that episode. I blew Austin's mind. I blew some of your minds. Some of you already knew about it, so I re-blew your minds. It was a crazy story. It was a wild one. If you haven't listened to it, go back, listen to the Lululemon episode. Yeah. Wild stuff. Happy Monday, everybody. Happy Monday. We hope you have a great week full of mystery. Well, hopefully not, because, you know, sometimes people don't want to. By the podcast. Like, yeah. yeah. That's what we hope. We hope you binge listen. Yes. So last week, that that episode was crazy. You guys blew me up. I was so thankful for that. So I hope you enjoyed this one as well, because I picked a story that was pretty freaking crazy. Bonkers. Are you ready, Austin? Mm-hmm. Got another one that's gonna drive you bonkers. Mama, mystery in. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so today we begin the story in Council Bluffs, Iowa. What? Not far Midwest. from Midwest. There's just something about it's a Midwest thing. Yeah. Anyway, there's it's just. A, is it Midwest swag or Midwest thing? I don't even know what song you're referring to. You know to. what? Go ahead, Kelly. It's Nelly. I, f- I thought it might be Nelly. Nelly Kelly. Anyway. Okay. I ain't a killer, but don't push me. Let's go. Are you done? All right. So anyway, I was saying there is just something about stories that hit so close to home that make them even more intriguing to me. So Council Bluffs, Iowa is only a couple hours from us in the southwest corner of Iowa. And it's lar- or it's relatively small, but only about eight miles from Omaha, Nebraska, which is much bigger. You're a fan of Omaha. Go Big Red. Is it, are they in Omaha or Lincoln? Lincoln. Lincoln. Yeah. Anyway, um, if you can imagine, this area is like your salt of the earth type of area where there's a lot of farmers, hardworking people. It's pretty rural. Just a good old boy. Yeah. Austin with the socks. <laughs> right on. Um, so anyway, this story begins in 2012 with a man named Dave Krupa. He was 35 at the time, working as a mechanic. Looking at pictures of him, he really appears to be just like your super average dude. There's really not much special about him. He's not like overly attractive. He's not unattractive. He's just your average guy. He's a good old boy. Yeah. He had recently broken up with his long-term girlfriend, Amy Flora. 
They had two kids together and had been together for a long time, about 12 years. But now, recently single, he's trying to kind of enjoy the bachelor life out of his own, on his own for the first time in over a decade. So he found a small apartment in Omaha, continued working as a me- mechanic, but in his off time, he wanted to figure out how to get back into the dating pool. Heck yeah. At the time, newly single and in his barren apartment, he resorted to online dating. The first person he meets is a woman named Liz Gallier. So we're going to talk about her for a second. Lizzie McGuire. No, Liz Gallier. Liz Gallier. Okay. So Liz, whose first name is actually Shanna, but she goes by um, her middle name, Elizabeth, but obviously it's shortened to Liz. Um, She was born in Kalamazoo, Michigan in 1975 to a young mom with two boys from a previous failed marriage and an alcoholic father. And these two were not married. Liz had a bit of a rough life growing up in Michigan. In 1967, before Liz was born, Liz's father spent three years in prison for taking indecent liberties with the child. So I'm not really sure what that means. I don't want to know, like, the details of that. I mean, I know what it means. I don't want to know what happened. But anyway, when he was released from prison, he met Liz's mom, who at the time was recently divorced with her two kids. So... They quickly moved in together, but their home was deemed too unsafe, and her two boys were removed from the home and placed in foster care. So Liz never actually met her two half-brothers, but Liz did have one brother who was about a year and a half younger than her. So they had Liz, and then they had her brother shortly after. In 1978, Liz and her brother were removed from their home due to domestic violence. Liz was about two. Her brother was only a year and a half younger, like I said. Um, Their mom, who was 28, finally kicked Liz's abusive dad out of the house so that the kids could come back. Her mom was so excited to get the kids back. And by all accounts, she really was a good mom to the kids. She just had a very poor judgment when choosing men. Um, days before the kids were due to come back, she walked a few blocks down the road to the laundromat so that she could wash the kids' blankets before they came back home. And she really wanted everything to just be perfect for them when they came back. But when she finished washing the blankets, she was walking home and she was hit by a car and killed instantly. Oh my gosh, curveball. I was not expecting that. Yeah. So Liz and her brother became wards of the state since they obviously couldn't go live with their abusive alcoholic father. And what makes this story even sadder is that Liz and her little brother couldn't even go live with extended family because they all had rap sheets of their own. And many of their cousins had also, be take, had also been taken out of their homes and placed in foster care as well. So Liz and her brother were placed in various foster homes, and they were eventually split up. They couldn't stay together, which is even sadder. Uh, they bounced around between multiple homes, many of which were abusive as well until Liz was finally adopted by her new parents, Ronald and Teresa Gallier. Ronald worked worked for Kellogg's, the cereal company, and in the mid-1990s, his job relocated him and his family to Omaha. So Liz stayed in Omaha until she was an adult and moved back to Michigan when she was 18 and got married two years later. So her and her husband got divorced after only a couple years, and in 1997, Liz began dating a man named Raymond Nice, Um, It's either nice or night. But anyway, he was about 22 years old and Liz was 24. 
They dated for a bit, and eventually things got a little rocky because Liz was known to get super jealous of other women. But about a year into their relationship, Liz became pregnant. Raymond, even though he was unhappy, decided to do what he felt was right, which was stay and provide for his family. So he bought them a little house, a trailer actually. But when Liz was eight months pregnant, she left Raymond to go live with another man. A man even younger than Raymond, about 21 years old. His name was Glenn. They had worked together. And he had an infant son of his own. So she left eight months pregnant to go live with this other guy who also has a little baby. Um, They had worked together at a convenience store, so that is how they met. And she tried convincing Raymond that Glenn was just a roommate and there was nothing going on, but Raymond knew better. Then Cody Nathaniel Gallier was born on August 25th of 1999. At this point, Liz decided to settle down with Glenn and make a life with him, essentially relieving Raymond of his duties and kind of trying to push him away. Raymond tried to see his son, but his visits with Cody became less and less frequent. Meanwhile, things at home were super stressful because Cody was a colicky baby. And a colicky baby under under any circumstance is incredibly stressful. But when you add on the fact that money was super tight and they had another infant in the home, this was just becoming like a super tense situation. Mm -hmm. Their shifts at the convenience store were opposite shifts. So they rarely spent time together. And it left only one of them at home at a time to take care of these two babies. On the morning of January 29th of 2000, Liz went to work after getting Cody ready for the day, but later that day, she got a call saying that her five-month-old son was being rushed to the emergency room. When she got there, they told her that his prognosis was poor and that he needed to be transferred to a hospital with a better trauma response team. Early the next morning, Cody passed away from a hemorrhage in his brain, which was later found to be caused by shaken baby syndrome. Later that morning, Glenn was arrested and charged with second-degree murder, and he was only sentenced to 8 to 20 years in prison. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And that's a unfortunately, super common thing, people shaking little babies Mm -hmm. because they get so frustrated. Just set the baby down and go outside. Leave the room. Leave the room. Because it can be insanely frustrating. Absolutely. And I've been there. You can't do it. I had two babies back to back. They're Irish twins, only 12 months apart. At times it felt like I had twins. And when one was sleeping, the other wasn't sleeping. And there were times when I remember getting so overwhelmed, feeling so stressed, but it never crossed my mind to hurt the baby. You just set them down and you go outside and you catch your breath or you call, uh, you phone a friend, you call a family member, you call somebody to come and make sure the baby's safe. Or if you really feel that at the end of your rope, take the baby to a fire department, a school, a, a safe drop-off where you can just drop off the baby and know that the baby is safe. Anyway, that's my it, tangent. It never got like that with us. but Oh, my gosh, no. Of course not, no. I mean, there were times, yes, I would go outside because I feel like every mother has had that moment where she's just like, oh, my gosh, I'm too overwhelmed. I need to breathe. And you just go outside for a second. But you you don't shake the baby. Come on. Not the good thing to do. Come on. Anyway, after his sentencing, Liz moved back to Omaha to create a new life for herself. She had a few relationships, but one of them became a little more permanent. She ended up having two more kids, a boy and a girl, that she raised on her own. In September of 2010, she met a a man named Todd on an online dating site. 
Todd worked in IT and took good care of Liz and her kids, especially financially, but their relationship was off and on. And even though it was off and on, Todd never realized that Liz was talking to other men while they were together. And in 2012, Liz met Dave Krupa on plentyoffish.com. So, plentyoffish.com. Yeah. Right on. Does that website still exist? I mean, I I'm have not no asking clue. you as if like you would know, but I have no clue. I don't know. So, Liz made a great first impression um, with Dave as being super smart, bright, outgoing, fun to be around. Liz and Dave got along really well, and Dave enjoyed spending time with her, but he made it very clear that he was not looking to commit to anyone just yet. He was very upfront about that, and I can respect anyone who's very open and honest about their promiscuity. <laughs> At least you're honest about it. Um, but he didn't just under- entertain a couple of women. He entertained a lot of women. And he admits that he kind of went wild after being free for the first time in a while. About six months after meeting Liz, he meets a woman named Carrie Farver. And um, he met her when she brought her car into the shop where Dave was working. Dave was instantly smitten with Carrie. Carrie was a 37-year-old single mom to a 14-year-old son, She worked as a computer programmer, and while Dave was showing her something under the hood of her car, there was just this, like, spark between them. And that's all that ended up happening. They didn't exchange numbers or anything. They both just left feeling kind of like butterflies and like, oh, I met this person. But they didn't say anything to one another? Nothing. Like, they both felt it, but they just didn't do anything about it. Okay, I'm interested to hear how this all ties back. Well, a few days later, Dave was back on Plenty of Fish and stumbled upon Carrie's profile. Oh, hell yeah, brother. Yeah, just serendipity. It was meant to be. They reconnected and decided to go on a date to Applebee's. And after their first date, Dave invited Carrie over to his place for a little nightcap, if you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. They're on the couch, making out, getting steamy, when Carrie stops Dave and essentially says, listen, we can have sex, but you need to know that that is all this will be because I'm not looking for a relationship or a boyfriend. And Dave is like, okay, jackpot. Fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. Sweet. So that night, however, Liz showed up to pick up a few of her things from Dave's apartment because I guess they had kind of broken things off prior to that because she was seeing this other guy, Todd. So I think they kind of just kind of like drifted off. Mm -hmm. So anyway, Liz shows up at Dave's Dave's apartment unannounced and she sees that Dave has carryover. She got kind of upset, even though she had her own boyfriend at the time. She got really emotional, which made Carrie pretty uncomfortable. So Carrie decided to leave. And as they passed each other, Liz recalled Carrie calling her a bitch. And the encounter, the encounter was super brief, but incredibly uncomfortable for everyone involved. And I'm sure you can imagine, like, girls get a little catty. And rather than, you know, blame the guy, they kind of blame each other. So whether there was, like, some heat exchanged, I can believe that. Mm-hmm. Liz ended up getting her things, and she tried pleading with Dave to work things out, but he told her she just needed to leave and that that would be the end of their relationship as they knew it. So um, they are done. They discontinue talking, but Dave and Carrie continued talking, and Dave got really comfortable with Carrie. At the time, Carrie had a huge project going on at work, and Dave's place was much closer to her work than her house was, so she was staying over at Dave's apartment. 
November 13th, 2012, Carrie and Dave have only been dating for two weeks when Dave gets up to go to work and he kisses Carrie goodbye before he leaves. A few hours later, he's at work when he starts getting texts from Carrie that kind of catch him off guard. One of the texts says, um, let's move in together. And Dave texts her back saying, mm, I'm not interested in that. We've only been talking for a couple weeks. Like, I don't know you well enough to do that. Pump the brakes. Yeah. And, I mean, it just so- kind of sounds like so typical of a girl to be like, I'm not looking for anything serious. Like, I just want to chill. And then be like, let's move in together. Stage five clear. <laughs> yeah. And to kind of just, like, hide you crazy until mm-hmm. you get a little more comfortable. Real easy to have a good first impression. Yeah, exactly. Don't we all? Yeah. Yeah. Most girls know how to put on a good facade. I'm not about the drama. That's my favorite. The ones that are like, mm, I have no drama. And mm. then they're like the most dramatic. Mm-hmm. So anyway, she immediately responds incredibly angry saying, fine, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I'm talking to someone else anyway. So go fuck yourself, basically. Oh, gosh. Yeah. She got really fired up. A few days go by and Carrie doesn't talk to him. Um, and then... All of a sudden, she starts texting him again, saying things like, I hate you. You ruined my life. You're a terrible person. And Dave literally says, like, I just dodged a bullet. Total stage five clinger. Yeah. And she obviously wasn't who she said she was. So who was Carrie Farber? Well, Carrie Farber grew up in a small town called Macedonia, Iowa. It was a very quiet town where kids could ride their bikes and without a worry, and everyone was super friendly with one another. It was a really good place to raise your kids. Carrie was super close with her mother, Nancy Rainey. They talked every single day. Gr- growing up, Carrie was very warm, loving, and a very hard worker. She had a lot of friends and was a very sociable kid. As she got older, older, she experimented a lot with her style, always changing her hair, trying to figure out like who she really was. During an interview for her high school yearbook, Carrie was asked how she would like to be remembered. And she said she wanted to be known as always having a smile on her face and for being a little bit crazy. With a genius-level IQ, Carrie got into computer programming and worked super hard to provide for her and her son, Max. Carrie got pregnant with Max at a young age, and her relationship with Max's dad didn't work out, so Carrie raised Max by herself, but with occasional help from her mother, Nancy. Carrie really doted on Max, and Max was always at the very top of her priority list, but as time went on, Carrie started struggling mentally. At one point, she was so depressed, she wouldn't get out of her bed for like 10 days. Finally, she went to a doctor to get help, and she was diagnosed with bipolar depression. So she was prescribed medication for this, and she was good about taking it and going to therapy, but her mom remembers times when Carrie would complain that the medication would just make her feel really numb, and she didn't want to take it anymore. Mm -hmm. But um, in 2012, Carrie was in a very good place, working in a job she loved and providing for her son, Max. While Carrie was staying with Dave so that she could finish this work project, Max was staying with Carrie's mom, Nancy. And on the day that Carrie and Dave had this falling out, Carrie also sent a text to her mom saying that she was going to be taking a job in Kansas. Nancy mentioned this to Max, and Max confirmed that Nancy had been looking for a job, or looking at a job, rather, in Kansas. So he wasn't really that surprised. And um, after all, Kansas really wasn't that far away. So Nancy asked Carrie to call her, but Carrie didn't end up calling her. A couple days go by and Carrie still hadn't called Nancy. 
That weekend, Carrie's half-brother was getting married, and Max was going to be an usher in the wedding, so Nancy really needed to get a hold of Carrie to figure out when she was going to get Max so they could prepare for this wedding. And when Carrie never called Nancy back, Nancy called the sheriff to report Carrie as missing. But when they came to take her report, she did mention that Carrie was diagnosed as bipolar and the cops kind of blew off the report at that point, just kind of succumbing to the idea that when a bipolar person abruptly abruptly stops taking their meds, it can make their behavior very erratic and unusual. And they suspect that maybe Carrie is kind of experiencing like a mental break. Withdrawal kind of or something. Yeah, and that is super common. If you just abruptly stop taking your medication, you can have even worse effects than you did before you started taking it. That mm-hmm. withdrawal can really exacerbate yeah, those symptoms. So Dave, in the meantime, keeps getting texts from Carrie. She's berating him, texting him constantly, just verbally assaulting Dave. Then on November 23rd, 10 days after Dave and Carrie get into that initial heated exchange about living together... Liz calls Dave, and she's super upset. She wants to know how Carrie got her phone number, her email, and her home address. She told Dave that Carrie had been harassing her with these crazy emails, nonstop phone calls, and that Carrie had even broken into her garage and spray-painted the words whore from Dave on her garage wall. Liz calls the police and files a report and tells them that Dave is her ex-boyfriend, Dave Krupa, and that she believes this is from one of his other ex-girlfriends. So the police go to Dave, and they start asking him what's going on, and he shows the cops all the texts that he's received from Carrie, and they're like, oh, okay, we've seen this before. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Mm, This woman's going crazy. In the weeks since Carrie left, she would still text her mother, Nancy, but she refused to call her. Nancy is super concerned because Carrie used to call her every day, so she gets the sense that like something is wrong. Carrie is texting Max saying that they're moving to Kansas and that he's going to be going to school down there, but Nancy puts her foot down and gets legal guardianship of Max because she doesn't trust whatever is going on with Carrie. Carrie started missing family events. She missed her own birthday, her son's birthday, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. But the final straw on the camel's back for Nancy was when Carrie's father died, and she didn't even come to his funeral. She texted her mom saying, I'm sorry I missed the funeral. And Nancy responded, the only way I will know it is you is if you call me and I hear your voice. But Carrie never called. Instead, she started attacking her mom, saying that she was never a good mom and just kind of berating her. And she's pushing everybody away. Yeah. So Dave continued getting messages from Carrie so often that he would change his phone number multiple times. But remember, Carrie is like a genius computer programmer. So she always found a way to get his new phone number or send him emails from different email addresses. One email she wrote said, Liz is nothing. She's a fat cow. She looks like she lost her puppy. Maybe she'll do us all a favor and kill herself. LOL. She would send them to Liz as well, saying, if you don't keep your hands and lips off my man, I will hurt you. Carrie's messages became even more concerning when she started messaging Dave, saying that her favorite thing to do was stand outside his window and just stare at him while he was in his apartment. One text was eerily specific when she said, I can see you on the couch with your feet up wearing a blue shirt. What the heck? This woman is so psycho. Yeah. Two months after this all started, 
uh, Dave is driving through his apartment complex when he notices Carrie's car. He noticed it and he recognized it from when he worked on it a few months prior when he and Carrie met. It was a black Ford Explorer. So he took a picture of the back of the Ford Explorer so he could get the license plate and he sent it to the police. Police impound Carrie's car, and as they're going through it, they're looking for any clues as to like where Carrie might be when they find one perfect fingerprint on an icebreaker's mint container. But they can't match the fingerprint um, in their database, so the fingerprint essentially leads to nothing. Five months go by since Carrie's mom, Nancy, has heard from Carrie when she gets a phone call from a homeless shelter saying that Carrie is there and she wants Nancy to come and get her. But when Nancy arrives at the homeless shelter, Carrie wasn't there. She was never there. Carrie's friends also start getting texts from Carrie saying that she ran off for a while, that she really just wants to come home. But these friends could never get Carrie to actually commit to meeting them anywhere. Finally, in May of 2013, about seven months since anyone has actually seen Carrie, Max takes matters into his own hands and reaches out to his mom via Facebook. He says, hi. And she responds almost immediately saying, hi, little man, how are you? And he says back, I have three questions. One, what is my middle name? Two, what was our first boxer's name? Three, who was my best friend as a little kid? She never responded to the message, but she did immediately make a public post on Facebook saying, I have answered enough questions to prove myself to everyone, and I am done. You can either believe I am your daughter, mother, sister, and friend that you have known your whole life, or you can just leave me alone. I have proven myself over and over, and I am done. I left on my own free will, and I am sick of everyone giving me a hard time for what I needed to do. I am not missing. I just don't want to come home right now. I am a grown woman, and if I feel like leaving home, I have the right. I asked my son, Max, and then in parentheses, Maxwell James, so she knew his middle name, Mm -hmm. to come with me, but you didn't want to. So when I am ready to come back home, I will. I am sorry for everyone that I've hurt. Um, I know I have upset some of you, but I needed to do this for me. Sorry, and I hope someday you can forgive me. I love you all very much, but I need some time to sort things out. So the emails and texts to Dave and Liz continued coming, and it became, became so traumatic for both of them that it actually kind of brought them closer together, and they started dating again. They'd even started getting messages at the same time while they were together, and they started referring to her as Crazy Carrie. So there were multiple times they would be sitting on the couch, and both of their phones would go off right at the same time, receiving messages from Carrie. And the messages from Carrie get even more insane when she emails Dave a picture of a woman in the trunk of her car, tied up with duct tape over her face, but like you can't quite see her face. She says that it's Liz and that he needs to call Liz and tell her that he doesn't want to be with her anymore if he wants Liz to live. He immediately calls Liz's phone, but Liz answers and is totally dumbfounded because she's not tied up in the trunk of a car and they just laugh it off as another crazy carry moment. It's August of 2013 when Liz calls Dave, frantically telling him that her house is on fire. Thankfully, her and her kids weren't at home, but her pets, two dogs, a cat, and a pet snake, were all at home and perished in the fire. <clears throat> two months later, Dave's work is vandalized when Carrie allegedly showed up and spray-painted Dave Beats Women on the wall in bright orange paint, and it's facing the main road where everybody drives by and can see it. 
Dave and Liz, while they're kind of dating again, are still not like mutually exclusive. And Dave is still entertaining his dating profile. One of the ladies who spent only like five minutes checking out his profile started getting messages from Carrie. You have to remember, Carrie She's is, seeing all this. is incredibly smart and a genius in IT. So it's not beyond the realm of comprehension that she could figure out a way to hack his accounts. Even his ex that he get, has kids with starts getting messages from Carrie. And this was just a poison that Dave could not get rid of, a poison for which there seemed to be no antidote. He was, it was infecting his entire life. He even... Um, he became, he got to a point where he had so much trouble trusting people. Like this affected his entire life, all of his relationships, his friendships, Mm -hmm. his work. Rightfully so. Yeah. And he kind of just had to learn to live with it because there was nothing he could do. Right. In Omaha, the police were familiar with Carrie Farber as being a stalker and suspected arsonist. But back in Iowa, which is only 10 minutes away, I don't know if I said that earlier, but Mm -hmm. Iowa... Council Bluffs, Iowa, and Omaha are like eight miles apart. So back in Iowa, Carrie was considered a missing person, and over two years had gone by since anyone in Iowa had physically seen Carrie. So two detectives, Jim Doty and Ryan Avis, take over the case, and they both take an interesting approach. One was going to treat the case as if Carrie was alive, And one was going to treat it as if Carrie were dead. And they were both going to try to prove their case to see if they could come up with a resolution. The first red flag to them was that Carrie's bank statements show no activity since she left. So how is she getting money? How is she feeding herself? How is she traveling? Mm -hmm. The second red flag is that all of her messages and Facebook posts are littered with grammatical errors, which is odd coming from someone with such a high-level IQ. So these detectives start going through the past case files and realize that they need more information. Back in 2013, they asked Dave and Liz to hand over their phones so they can go through all the data and see if they can get to the bottom of where the messages were coming from. And at this time, they were both considered just victims. But while they were going through these files now with a fresh set of eyes and a different perspective, they find more things that catch their attention. They come upon a picture of Carrie's car. It's a picture of the back of her Ford Explorer showcasing the license plate. But after finding the metadata of this picture, they realize it was taken about a month before the car showed up in Dave's parking lot when Dave took a picture of it and sent it to police. So I think originally when they saw that picture, they assumed this was the same picture that Dave had sent whenever he sent the picture to police and found it in the parking lot. But the metadata proved it was actually taken a month prior. Then remember that picture that Carrie sent Dave of a woman who was supposed to be Liz in the back of Carrie's trunk. Mm -hmm. Well, they found that picture too. And the metadata proved that that picture was actually taken with Liz's phone. So they realized Liz had actually put Liz is Carrie on her own. Oh my God. I just got the goosebumps. (laughs) Liz is Carrie. Holy cow. Oh, mind blown. This is like the Lulu episode. Yes. What the heck? This crazy woman. So where's Carrie? Keep going. Okay. So they realized Liz had actually put duct tape on her own mouth, crawled into the back of a car, her car. And set a selfie timer. Oh my gosh. Liz is officially a suspect in the detective's eyes. 
They reach out to Carrie's mom and let her know that they believe Nancy and they believe something she weird is going on. She killed Carrie. Oh my God, I'm on to her. It only took me the whole episode. <laughs> well, hey, that's how I set it up though. I mean, that's how it went on for years. Right. That's why I write these the way that I do. I want you to feel the same way everyone did at the time. This took right. years. The Lululemon case took... Uh, it was all over the course of seven days. This uh-huh. took the course of like two to three years. Everybody's looking for this Carrie. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay, keep going. I want to hear more. So um, they reach out to Carrie's mom, and they tell her that they believe something weird is going on, and finally Nancy feels like the authorities are taking her seriously. She lets them in on some of the weird behavior from who was allegedly Carrie, and one of the things she tells them was that there was a time when Carrie texted Nancy asking to um, asking Nancy to go let some people into her apartment who were going to buy her furniture. Carrie couldn't be there, so she was asking Nancy to go let them in. Carrie even sent her mom a picture of a check from the buyers of the furniture, and the check was signed, Shanna Gallier, which is Liz's real name. And this check was dated November 14th, 2012, one day after... Dave last saw Carrie and kissed her goodbye in the morning. So lastly, remember that fingerprint on the icebreaker's mint case found in Carrie's car? Mm -hmm. It was a perfect match with one of Liz's fingerprints. So Liz had been in Carrie's car. Oh, my goodness. So they go to Dave, and they tell him that they suspect that Liz has been impersonating Carrie this entire time, and Dave is just blown away. Doesn't believe it. Understandably. He's really skeptical, and I don't blame him because this has been a long time. He has even... You know, reconnect, reconnected with Liz. They've gotten to a point where, like, they have a close relationship. And he even felt bad for bringing Carrie into Liz's life mm-hmm. because it was causing her so much pain. Let's not forget her freaking house <coughs> burned up in a fire with her two dogs, her cat, and her she pet snake inside. She was committed. I mean, the only thing that deserved to die in the house was the snake. Anyways, go oh ahead. Gosh, Austin. <laughs> I mean, I don't disagree. But... I got peed on my ass now. It's a joke, everybody. <laughs> I thought you said you got peed on your ass. No, I got peed on my ass now because I said a snake died. Should have oh, died. Geez. Anyway, just yeah, I'm not a, a huge snake fan, but that's just me. I just yeah, said, a snake is a pet, not my life. Mm, yeah. Anyway, um, so meanwhile. While this is all going on, Liz walks into the sheriff's office to file a harassment report. And I think she started to suspect that maybe they were onto her. So she was like trying to throw them off her tracks by suggesting it was actually Dave's ex, Amy Flora, the mother of his children, who was pretending to be Carrie the whole time. So Liz is trying to say, like, Mm-hmm. Actually, maybe it wasn't Carrie because, you know, it wouldn't make sense since they only talked for two weeks, but it would make a lot more sense because Amy and him talked for 12 years. So now she's kind of like trying to redirect mm-hmm. the attention. Before they ever suggested that they thought Liz was impersonating Carrie, Liz tried to get one step ahead by saying she thought Carrie was being impersonated, but by another one of his exes. So Detective Avis goes to Liz's house to ask her questions about this harassment case and never once tells Liz that he's on to her because he wants her to feel comfortable with him. And it works because by the end of their conversation, he asks Liz if he can have her phone to download all the messages she has. And she consents. And she has no idea that this will not only download the current information on her phone, but anything that has been deleted as well. Uh Uh-oh. Liz also confines, 
confides in Detective Avis that a 9mm handgun had been stolen from Dave's closet and that she believed Amy Flora had stolen it. So the very next day, it's December 5th, when police receive this call, and I'm going to play it for you on the phone. So I apologize for the dramatic music, but that was the only clip I could find, and it was actually from a Snapped episode, so it's got all that dramatic music in it, and it was, of course, like, chopped up. So I did my best, but that was the 911 call of Liz calling to say that she had gone to a park. Um, It was actually a super popular park called Big Lake Park, and she had come to the park to clear her mind when she says a woman came up behind her and shot her in the leg. Initially, she said she didn't know who shot her, but then she later said she believed it was Amy Flora. I believe she shot herself. It was almost immediately confirmed that Amy Flora had nothing to do with this. She was nowhere near the area at the time, and they confirmed that Liz had actually shot herself in her own leg. She is committed, burnt her house down, killed her pets, shot herself. Yeah. My goodness, lady. So Just this- flee. <laughs> Just stop. Just stop. Yeah, well, that would be the number one thing to do is stop. Yeah, stop a long time ago. Like, never do it. Christ. So, the data from Liz's phone comes back, and it's been found after thousands of hours of scouring her data analytics that Liz had signed up for tons of various email accounts, all claiming to be Carrie. She had also signed up for an app that would allow her to create a text message to be sent at a later date and time. So anytime she was with Dave and they would both get a message from Carrie, it would actually be from Liz crafted earlier that day. And then she plays the, oh my gosh, gosh, look, I got one too, look. My phone was sitting on the table. I wasn't even touching it. What in the world? Yeah. Two weeks after Liz was shot, detectives bring her back in to do some questioning about a missing person, Carrie Farver. She walks in quite well for being shot in the leg um, two weeks prior. <laughs> but anyway, they ask her if she has any idea of anyone who may have wanted to hurt Carrie. And Liz says she doesn't know Carrie well enough to know anything like that. But she says that if anyone would have any reason to be possessive over Dave, it would be the ex that he was with for over 12 years. So Detective Jim Doty drops this sweet little egg in Liz's lap and says, well, hey, if you get any messages from Amy regarding what may have happened to Carrie, you need to let us know because it will really help us build a case. And of course, Liz falls for it. Just a few days after this meeting, sure enough, Liz tells the detectives that she received an email saying, I shot you, Liz, to make sure Dave stayed away from you. I used our kid's key. Oh my God. Isn't this hilarious? This actually cracks me up. She says, I used our kid's key to get or to break in. Oh my gosh. To 
break in on his phone. There were a ton of grammatical errors, so this is hard to read. I used our kid's key to break in on his phone with the code we both use. That's when I took his gun and some ammo. I got rid of the gun. Look, the police haven't arrested me. No one has proof it was me. So you're screwed, Liz. And better stay away from Dave, or next time it will be worse for you. Oh my gosh, yeah, this is believable. Have you ever seen the movie Jawbreaker? Mm-mm. It's kind of like a 90s film, but these girls like kill their best friend by accident, and they're trying to like cover it up like she was murdered, and they have one of those cards that like you can record a message in, and the card accidentally opened when one of the girls was like, I killed Liz. I killed the teen dream. Deal with it. And it ended up being used against her later. This just kind of reminded me of that. I know if Romeo's listening, he'll appreciate it because we watched that movie together. But um, anyway, yeah, it just cracks me up that she's like, I broke in and here's exactly how I did it with all the details. Here's my confession with all the details in an email. (laughs) Like, I shot you and here's how I did it. So she brings this to the police. So silly. She brings it to the police. Um, and let's see. D- Detective Doty encourages her to respond to this email to see if they can gather some information on what may have happened to Carrie. So this time, the response is much longer. And the beginning is hilarious because this person pretending to be Amy that everyone knows is actually Liz is talking to Liz, essentially is- explaining why she had to change her email address before responding to this email. Mm-hmm. It's just so silly, like the interaction. It's, it's like a kid with Oreos all over their face, and you say, did you eat another Oreo when I told you not to? And they have Oreos all over their face, and they go, no. Yeah, or like Joey from Friends. Actually, a raccoon came in. It's like just the most unbelievable yeah. story. Ugh. So anyway, the response is so long. I'll just include the most pertinent parts, but it says, I did meet up with Carrie at a local place here in Council Bluffs. I have family that won't let me go to jail. So when I met crazy Carrie, she would not stop talking about Dave and him being her husband. She tried to attack me, but I attacked her with a knife. I stabbed her three or four times in chest and stomach area. I then took her out and burned her. I stuffed her body in a garbage bag with crap. She was carried out to the dumpster probably when Dave took out my garbage for for me. So the detectives realize that Liz's motive here is to have Dave alter herself and to no one else. So they want to push Liz to her breaking point by encouraging Dave to move in with Amy for a minute, even if they're not really getting back together. He just wants to see what Liz will do if Dave moves in with Amy. And sure enough, Liz loses her mind. She calls the police crying, saying it looks like the only person benefiting here is her, and that she gets to shoot somebody, kill somebody else, and she gets to be free because they won't arrest her. So this prompts even more detailed confessions from Amy via email, and one of them declares that she killed Carrie in her own car. So this finally gives police something to look for. They had already examined her explorer, but now they're like realizing, okay, we need to look a little deeper. Right. So they go back to Carrie's Ford Explorer, and when they pull back the leather or the fabric on her seat cushion, that's when they find underneath that there is a huge red stain, and it's confirmed to be Carrie's blood. So finally, they have more than just circumstantial evidence to actually formally accuse Liz of Carrie's murder. They bring her in on a warrant for an unpaid traffic ticket and begin questioning her about Carrie. They confront her with the evidence that her fingerprints are in Carrie's car and that the IP addresses of all those emails account, email accounts point back to one person's house, and it's Liz's house. 
She is super defensive and cold in her denials, and she has no idea that while she's being interviewed, detectives Dodie and Avis are actually at her house conducting a search warrant, and they find Carrie's digital camera and camcorder that Liz stole from Carrie's house. They also got an old tablet from Dave that Liz had put one of her SD cards in from her phone. They were able to find a ton of deleted information and pictures, including one picture that really sealed the deal for the prosecuting attorneys. It was the image of a bloody human foot that was in a state of decomposition, and on the foot was a tattoo, the Chinese symbol for mother, and it matched the tattoo on Carrie's foot that she got to honor her relationship with her own mother and her relationship as a mother to her beloved son, Max. So this was a tough case because it is essentially based on a lot of circumstantial evidence because there were no witnesses and there were no body. And it is incredibly hard to try a murder case without a dead body. But the jury appreciated the evidence and was able to use their common sense to find a verdict of guilt. And she was sentenced to life in prison. And she was also found guilty of arson, which rendered a sentence of 18 years to be served consecutively with her life sentence. So, man, that was a wild one. Yeah. Liz went above and beyond to prove that she was not the one responsible for the stalking, the harassment, the arson. And let's not forget the death of her own pets. That one really blows my mind. So she never fessed up. She still hasn't to this day. In fact, she has been communicating with, um, oh, I can't think of her name now. I think it's Anne Rule. She's a true crime author. And uh, she has been communicating with her by letter, still claiming her innocence. And that someday we'll find the real person who did all this, and I'll be set free. Oh, my gosh. What denial. Delusion. She, she probably convinced herself that she didn't do it. I mean, maybe. like I don't know. People are nuts. They can convince themselves of things and justify things in their head, and it's crazy. Yeah. She showed no remorse, no emotion during the trial. Just nothing. I can't wrap my head around the ultimate dysfunction and diabolical cruelty that went into all of her actions here. It was just completely evil. And one of the craziest, most bizarre things that I've seen in a really long time. We have covered cases, some crazy cases, but this individual was crazy and did this shit for a span of years. It wasn't just a single crime of passion, not a heat of the moment thing. This was an evil act that stretched across years, tons of victims, and was such a bizarre turn of events. And it was all to be possessive over a guy. Over a guy and just an average dude. Like, Well, who cares if it was... I, I know. I don't mean it like that. I mean, it's almost like your comment, like, is she hot? But like, is she hot? What was so special about Dave? He was just your average dude. It's wild. Yeah, it's just... So, I mean, obviously, there was just some very serious psychological issues going on. But she is where she needs to be. She's in, like, the Nebraska Correctional Facility for Women, and that's where she'll stay. That's wild. So, we'll be back on Friday with another episode. Thank you so much for listening. and, 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 hey... If you were mind blown by this, screenshot it, put it on your story, and tag at Mama Mystery on Instagram so we can know you watched it and hit you up. Yeah, I love it when you guys do that. It like literally makes my day. Yes. It makes me so happy. Helps us reach new listeners, which we appreciate, that and too. it makes us happy. For sure. Have a good week. Mama Mystery out. Bye.